Welcome to Hidden Layers, where we explore the tech and the people behind artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Ron Green, and I'm excited to be joined today by Jeff Perry to discuss how he and his team of scientists are using advances in AI and computer vision specifically to map the ocean coastline in unprecedented detail. Jeff is a senior engineering scientist at the Department of Aerospace Engineering and Engineering Mechanics at the University of Texas at Austin. Jeff is currently the technical lead for the 3D Geospatial Laboratory at the Center for Space Research and has a background in computer vision, machine learning, and software engineering. Prior to the Center for Space Research, Jeff was a technical lead at the Applied Research Laboratories and at the Center for Perpetual Systems at the University of Texas. He also has worked as a developer in the software industry where he specialized in image processing, software optimization, and video compression. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to dig into this. I, I don't know much about uh, bathymetry. I believe that's the right term mm -hmm. for uh, essentially mapping the topology of the ocean, uh, the ocean floor. So maybe, maybe let's kick off. Could you tell us a little bit about your work currently at the Center for Space Research? So. Uh, our lab, the 3D Geospatial Lab, uh, we deal with primarily with 3D data. So, okay. um, uh, which is, looks a little different than most data than we're used to dealing with. And it primarily comes from, uh, well, it can come from many places. It can come from satellites. It can come from uh, terrestrial mounted systems. Um, it could come from drones. Mm. Um, we're seeing a lot of that lately. And it comes in generally a couple flavors. Uh, one of those would be from LIDAR. And more commonly now, we see a lot of uh, EO, as we call it, uh, um, electro-optical um, image, imagery, photogrammetric, photogrammetric okay. data. Okay. Is that is that data coming from um, LIDAR systems like satellites yes. and drones, et cetera? Yeah. LIDAR systems can be mounted. A lot of them are mounted on satellites, but Really quickly, can you explain what LIDAR is for everybody? Sure. Uh, LIDAR is um, uh, it's a, it's a laser optical system, so we call this uh, laser telemetry. So it's a way to measure distance um, uh, using, using a laser. And it basically uh, will pulse photons, send a pulse of millions or billions of photons and what get and it measures the time of flight it takes from it uh that it takes for it to leave the device and return bounce off of something and come back and if it knows that time and it knows the speed of light it can measure extremely accurately how far away something is in in my understanding uh of lidar is that it allows us to do things we really couldn't do before if we were just dealing with a sort of uh optical uh, light, um, um, visible light. For example, we can penetrate like um, uh, rainforest canopies and things like that. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Okay. Yes. And so most of this data I understand that you're operating on these days comes from a satellite. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So um, it, again, it comes from all different sources, uh, but one, one in particular uh, uh, the, the, the ISAT um, satellite, it, it flies 300 miles above the Earth, and it's going 
it's making a rotation around it's making it's traveling around the earth from po the north pole down and back again at uh and it takes 90 minutes to take to complete one that's incredible rev revolution re revolution so yeah, right it's going and it's, very and quickly it, and it's moving around the earth i believe in a way that allows it to um scan every part of the earth right so it's it's not in, it's it's literally looking at every uh square mile of the earth well yes over time it over time it it it, it sends down you know laser of course is very small very and right. uh you know when it leaves the satellite it's extremely small it spreads out as it goes down so the footprint is about 11 meters but as the satellite goes around the earth it moves around a little it it changes course so that it'll cover every part of the earth and okay. it takes about 90 days then to get a full um a full mapping of the earth and then it starts it starts over and <laughs> just starts over okay so that's incredible you're, you're saying this thing is 300 miles above the earth yes um and but the the surface area of the projection it, what was it 11 meters mm, yes that that just that's unfathomable. So the light is getting back to the satellite with enough fidelity that you're able to use that to map the ocean coastline. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. How does that work? Um, so this is, you know, the, the, so it's ice sat. So it was originally the ice is, it was, it was meant to one of the purposes of the original intent was to measure changes in uh, the cryosphere, the, um, the, uh, polar regions mm. um, uh, but what they found is that it also penetrates I mean they already knew it penetrates forests and and they knew that you know it's it's measuring the whole earth it never turns off right. right it's constantly collecting data in real time but what they were surprised to learn is that not just that it penetrates water but that it goes down pretty deep and in some cases it can go 50 or 60 meters so so you know the coastal regions, uh, coastal regions are um, at down to say 200 meters. That's where 90% of uh, uh, marine life lives mm. on the earth. Okay, so that makes sense. So it, even though it can't go near the bottom of the ocean, we're not that interested in that generally. From a, from a, both some a transportation, people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, some people from a transportation or a sea life perspective, right? Yeah. Most of our focus is along the coastline where it works pretty well. Yeah, it, it works well. So you know, there's a, there, there's this um, recently there's there's just this huge um, increase in the amount of data available because of this, and it's an area that if you think about it, you know, the coastal regions are areas that it was hard to map out. Uh, until recent until this technology because you know shallow water you can't you can't send a ship in a lot of these areas it's too shallow and oh, so okay. so it's exposing areas that you know that that it might have been too dangerous to to send a, a boat or you can't wait out and right you know measure it with, right right so so yeah it's exposing these very interesting areas of the world that we previously we couldn't really that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the data before we transition into talking about computer vision and, and, and how you're leveraging that. So the data coming from the ISAT-2 satellite, um, is it, I believe it's like point cloud data. Can you talk yes. about what the data looks like and how the volume that you're dealing with from a, from a data perspective? Sure. So, um, I mean, 
generally the volume is more than you can, <laughs> you know, more than, it, it, again, this thing's constantly collecting data and, um, uh, uh, and is that data, is that data publicly available? It is publicly available, yes. Okay. Uh, from that particular, there's there's lots of data. This particular instrument, uh, NASA publishes, it, okay. and and I can talk more about that. Yeah. Um, later, but uh, okay, great. The the, um, uh, so point cloud data. It's it's a very you know a lot of, a lot of the data that we deal with is two dimensional imagery and and uh, of that nature. This this data looks different in that one analogy I like to make is to describe this is imagine you had like a machine gun and you stood there and I don't recommend doing this, but you know, and you could just fire it, right? Wherever a bullet hits, right? If you're out in the middle of next to a building, wherever a bullet hits, imagine that you could magically know exactly in 3d space relative to where you're standing, what the X, Y, Z coordinates of those, bullets are right so now so so it's each data point represents a surface on um you know a surface on manifolds mm -hmm. in the in the world so the important point is though is that and why i say machine gun is that it's randomly spaced it's not you know imagery is a nice regular grid right. of and the the position of the data is implied it's part of the format and we just what we what we express in that data are the values at those locations. This is we call it sparse a sparse representation where you only represent you know certain points and in a in a way that's um, that's kind of you know more random randomly arranged. Right. Right. And is the is I would imagine you know the atmosphere cloud cover maybe even uh, if the seas were rough. At a particular time and location, does all of that affect like the quality of the lidar signal you're getting back? Yes. So, so um, for for 3D data that comes from uh, a lidar system in general uh, has the problem of again back with the analogy before. If things are occluded, for whatever your vantage point is, you're going to occlude things right. that are behind it so that doesn't get represented so um uh now with specifically with the data coming from the isat 2 satellite for example it's especially challenging because what you just said cloud cover you'll get and again i have examples uh you know uh of of continuous data and all of a sudden you'll just have a break in it well it's because a cloud mm. is going over and it blocks it, okay. it occludes what's beneath it and so um things like that now there's all these other factors in in the in this case for isat that affect uh the quality of the data so like turbidity of the water is going to affect it because that those photons are having to travel through water and come aerosols in the air well, we already mentioned not just um cloud cover but just any type of aerosols the fact that so this is the 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 device is counting photons that bounce back well if it's daylight there's a lot of stray photons out there right if there's night if it's nighttime there aren't as many and so you may get tons some of these images you may get uh, uh, examples of the data that I have you can see this background scatter 
and you'll know, oh, this was collected during the day because there's all this noise in the background at nighttime, not so much. Oh, that makes perfect um, sense. Yeah. Okay, and you've mentioned that you've got some images. We were looking at those before we started recording. So for anybody who's listening to this, uh, we will put these images into the video on YouTube. So at any point, uh, if you want to understand better what Jeff's talking about, uh, check out that. Uh, check out those videos. So one, one more question on, on the data collection. So if the satellite is moving uh, across the globe at a, and, and covering every um, area on a 90-day basis, does that mean if you have really strong cloud cover in an area, you basically have to wait three months to get that data again? Um, well, uh, that's... Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I should be clear, it's not, it doesn't really cover every area of the globe. I mean, okay. the satellite, the flight, the flight path of the, of the satellite repeats after 90 days, but it can, the, and it has actually six lasers on it. Okay. So it has, uh, um, uh, you know, six different kind of, we always say they're pencil lines drawn, but you can direct the satellite, you can change its attitude okay. and point it diff as it flies over. Um, bef okay. before, uh, sorry, I didn't, I, your question, I didn't. No, 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 that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was kind of curious about. Um, okay. So, uh, you've been working in, in this field for a really long time. I'd love to kind of segue to talk about how AI and advances in computer vision are making, um, your life easier and how it's allowing us to really kind of understand this this uh, complex data better before we jump into that maybe describe the old techniques so if you were dealing with this type of data let's say 10 years ago um, what were the what were the what was the normal approach and what were the challenges with that so um, back then we would we would just hand you know we would hand select the features and do feature engineering right um, and uh, and, and just use, you know, what, random forest, XGBoost or something. But the, t the, the time consuming part was picking out those features, then determining feature importances. Right. And where, you know, does this work? Does this not? Is this not doing anything? And, and like that. Um, right. Yeah, the, I, I, you're describing the old days very perfectly. You you would you would um, use your intuition to try to craft features for a model, but then you know very frequently those features weren't very robust, right? And so um, I, I imagine that that now with modern computer vision architectures, you're much more able to just kind of almost throw the, throw the raw data into the system and let it handle. Um, feature extraction, et cetera. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So, so as, um, uh, you know, the, the, again, the data we're looking at are very complicated and it, and it gets even more complicated when, when we're looking at th things that are of this non-stationary nature. And so, uh, and what does that mean just for our listeners? Uh, it, it means that the statistical properties of the, of the data changes, often dramatically as you move through just spatially as you go from this uh, this kilometer to the next kilometer or even this meter to this meter mm -hmm. this the the statistical properties say of the noise might change and uh and so that makes it very challenging because you tend to you know people have their favorite data sets and they say oh it works well here it works well here and now you go <laughs> right. try it somewhere else and the whole thing falls apart because right. Um, so, 
so yeah, uh, uh, feature engineering doesn't work as well um, uh, on the and especially on these huge. So we're trying to create a global product. I mean, that's really the 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 one of the key points here. And I just feel like it 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 wouldn't be possible without machine learning if you were having to do feature engineering, mm -hmm. um, it's just going to slow you down. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now what we can do is build images from the data and just feed the image directly into, um, or have uh, even, you know, you talked about CNNs. So the work I do with bathymetry is CNN based. Typically I mm -hmm. use a residual network. Uh, I'll build up an image and, feed that in, let the, let the machine find, <laughs> find the features itself. But we also, on the 3D data, we're developing techniques, usually through transformers that operate on the 3D data itself. We don't even have to build up 2D imagery. We're, we're, we're designing algorithms that, that operate on the points, on this sparse point cloud if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, that's fascinating. So you're, you're, you're even removing the step of, of almost any type of pre-processing, right? If you're using some type of transformer based computer vision model, you just essentially need to, to tokenize or patchify the input data and then you let the model do its thing. Yes. Oh, I love it. Um, getting, you know, labeled data is pretty expensive and you're dealing with an enormous amount of data. What are, what are some of the things you're doing there around either augmentation or simulation to handle that? So, Yes, that's a that's a that's a great question. So, well, augmentation usually we do that as a matter of course for most data because it makes the right. models more robust. Do do mirroring and scaling and things of that nature. Um, Semi-supervised approaches where we um, we have labeled data, but then we let the model help us label more data. Mm. So so we use the model to say you know, at the, at the very minimum, we can use the model to label data and then we go back and fix it. Right. Um, that might be a little biased, but, but, um, or better yet, we can have the model tell us these areas I'm very uncertain of, you need a human to go do it. Right. And this area, I'm, I'm pretty certain I've got that. So no, and you're no looking, sense. You're, in, you're looking at like the model's confidence levels to yes. figure out where it's uncertainty is sort of maximizing and focusing Yes. having humans label that data yeah or another example well so this would be more self-supervised so um i have colleagues um uh forrest uh, corcoran and chris parish are at oregon state university so they're they've developed a model that's self-supervised um and what it does so as i was saying clouds obscure things mm -hmm. right um, and what you'd like to do, if you know what in-painting or data imputation, right? right is right. In-painting is a type of data imputation. So they've developed an imputation model where they take the data and then they'll just go remove patches, right? Yeah, right. And, but they already have, they know what's there. And so that's their, that's how they label it. They already have the labels. And then they go, they, that way, now they can apply it to areas where there's cloud cover and fill in what would be oh, there. Br oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure where you're going there. So, so Kung Fu AI, we do a lot of augmentation of self-supervised learning as sort of um, very frequently an, a, um, a pre-training method, right, to um, get a model um, um, 
sort of self-trained on a domain, but you're actually using this technique for that and also for impating on in areas where you might have cloud cover so you can kind of figure out missing data points automatically. That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. What ways are you collaborating with, uh, uh, with other disciplines out there like oceanographers? Uh, Slide Rule Earth is, a, is an AWS-hosted um, site. Uh, it's, it's developed by NASA, and it's, a, it's like a rapid process delivery of science data. It's an interactive um, it's an interactive tool. You can get on it and select a region of the Earth and say, give me data from that region. And it's, it's scalable, too. You, can, you, you don't have to use the web interface. There's a, there, you could use you know, an API like we typically, but there's also even a Python mm. module for it. So you can program. Uh, it's fully programmable, so you can go and get this data. Comes to, so, so again, ISAT2's continuously publishing data, right? It's, it gets updated constantly. And this is kind of like a window into that, where where all the all the different products that it produces, you can programmatically interact with Slide Rule to get that data, the kind of data you want in the area that you want. It's brilliant. Oh, that sounds amazing. What ways are the results of your research being leveraged by oceanographers or other disciplines? People are using these data from from ISAT, say, and then. machine learning to study, um, you know, coastal habitats, right? Like uh, seagrass, um, seagrass growth or coverage or, or uh, you know, coral reefs and how they're changing. Um, it, again, laser penetrates foliage, right? So they can see beneath the forest canopy and say, oh, there's a lot of fuel here that mm, could potentially cause A lot cause of undergrowth. Fires. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and then again, back to the coastal waterways, I mean, you know, some of the maps that people are using to navigate uh, uh, coastal regions, those maps might be decades old, right? They haven't been updated. And so now this is opening up whole new opportunities for people to find, say, new routes through, you know, through, through these waterways. So. All right. So we like to wrap up with a fun question, which is if you could use artificial intelligence somehow in your daily life to make your life better what would it be jeff <laughs> um so yeah that's a silly example but <laughs> but i you know it would probably improve my life a lot if someone could just tell me what how to meal plan you know just to yeah. say just to look at you know tell me what to go to the grocery store to buy and what to cook that night that would <laughs> i have a real problem with that <laughs> i love it uh, i love my it. family would really appreciate that That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah.